You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1,935th edition of the St Edmundsbury News Talk for the 29th of June 2023. The editor of this edition is myself, Graham Parley, the producer is Ruth Hill, and your readers are Sue Cunningham-Snell and myself, Graham Parley. We should also mention our processing team who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. So we will commence with the headlines. Residents battle horrendous 5G masts being built on estates. Former hostages new honour. Campaigners vow to keep fighting to stop Sizewell Sea. Runaway Rees warning as birds could have run 10 miles from farm. A group of residents in Bury St Edmunds have said they feel trapped after a horrendous 5G mast was installed outside their homes, with another one due to be built on a neighbouring estate. The 15 metre tall 5G telecommunications pole and equipment cabinets were installed in Baldwin Avenue on the Mildenhall Road estate earlier this month after a planning application submitted in January by C.K. Hutchinson Networks. Three was approved. But residents on the street feel they were not properly notified by West Suffolk Council and have raised health concerns. At a West Suffolk Council meeting on Tuesday, Councillor Jim Thorndyke, Cabinet Member for Planning, said there was little the Council could do as the Government required local planning authorities to support the expansion of electronic communication networks. Resident Jo Owen said she was worried about the health implications of the 5G mast and had been spreading the word to householders in St Olaf's Road on the Howard Estate where a 20 metre monopole and additional equipment cabinets are due to be built. Miss Owen, who lives close to Baldwin Avenue, said residents were not aware of the application and they received no letters informing them. There was one A4 piece of planning application document stuck on a lamppost next to the bus stop, where the mast has gone up, she added. The mast is impacting people's physical and mental health. It's really in your face. You open your door and it's right there. It's horrendous. I've had headaches ever since it was put up. I don't want to be in my home anymore. It doesn't feel safe. She would like the masts to be moved to industrial estates or rural areas away from residents. However, according to guidance from Ofcom, there is no link between 5G and adverse health effects and these claims should not be used to block or delay 5G rollout. A married couple who did not want to be named said, We feel trapped. I don't like it being here. We are concerned it will affect the value of our house. Other applications for masts have been approved for Sicklesmere Road, Mount Road and Beddingfield Way. A spokesman for West Suffolk Council said, The application for the Baldwin Avenue mast was advertised through public notices in the media and were on display close to the site. Stakeholders were consulted, including the Town Council, while councillors were also informed. A spokeswoman for the three said said masts needed to be built in precise locations where there were people using the service to ensure the widest breadth of coverage. They added that planning departments for councils defined the exact location where masts could be built and they cannot be moved. They said the company was aware of the concerns raised around health, but that 5G deployment was no different to any other mobile technology. Former Beirut hostage Sir Terry Waite of Hartist has been given a new accolade in the King's Birthdays Honours List announced on Friday. 
Sir Terry, who spent almost five years in captivity after being kidnapped by terrorists in Lebanon, has been appointed a Knight Commander of the Order of St. Michael and St. George, the KCMG, for his services to charity. As envoy for the Church of England, Sir Terry was in Beirut trying to secure the release of four hostages when he was kidnapped and held captive from 1987 to 1991. This week, he said, the honour was totally unexpected. I had no idea it was coming. I felt very moved and emotional when I received the letter. First of all, I could hardly believe it. I thought it was a scam, and then I realised it was probably quite true, said Sir Terry. Afterwards, I felt that although I had received this honour, it was because of the work I have done with so many people through Hostage International and Emmaus, so I like to think I share it with them. The KCMG honour recognises services on a foreign country or in relation to foreign and Commonwealth affairs such as the work of diplomats overseas. Sir Terry became president of the homelessness charity Emmaus, UK, shortly after his release from captivity. Meanwhile, he is also co-founder and president of Hostage International, which supports families of those taken captive. Sir Terry, 84, said he probably should retire when he returns 90, adding... So I've got six more years and then I might consider slowing down, but I am still pretty busy. The thing about getting old, you can't do what you did 20 years ago. But if you keep your brain active and live as fully as possible and don't worry about the future, you can still do an awful lot. Sir Terry said the only other non-government recipient of the KCMG was David Attenborough. I do feel very honoured to receive it, he said. It is really quite distinguished. This will be the third time I've been to collect an honour. I got the MBE some years ago, and then the CBE. At that point, I thought I had reached the end of the line and wouldn't get any more. Not that I have ever sought any recognition. Campaigners have vowed to continue their fight against the monstrous Sizewell Sea nuclear power station on the Suffolk coast despite losing a legal challenge against the plans. The High Court announced on Thursday that the judicial review brought by Together Against Sizewell Sea, that's T-A-S-C, had been rejected as being totally without merit. TASC had launched the review over the environmental impact of the project, particularly the disposal of nuclear waste and the provision of a water supply to the station. Consent for the 25 billion joule reactor project was granted by the then Business Secretary Kwasi Kwarteng in July 2022. However, the campaigners are now considering whether to appeal against the decision. TASC Chair Jenny Kirtley said, Naturally, TASC is disappointed, but this verdict does not signal the end of our efforts. Together with our lawyers, we are examining all possible options open to us and can promise our supporters that in one form or another, this campaign will continue. The Suffolk Heritage Coast cannot be sacrificed for such an unnecessary and inappropriate development, and we will examine every avenue of opposition until all are exhausted. Representatives of other campaign groups opposed to the Sizewell Sea also spoke of their disappointment. Paul Collins, chair of Stop Sizewell Sea, said... Despite this outcome, Sizewell C is still the wrong project in the wrong place. With investors already wary of Sizewell C's cost and risk, the government should cut its losses, focus on energy efficiency, renewables and storage, and make sure the protected habitats uh, of East Suffolk are safe forever. Rachel Fulcher from Suffolk Coastal Friends of the Earth said, Despite a disappointment, Suffolk Coastal Friends of the Earth 
will continue to support TASC wholeheartedly in deciding what the next steps should be. Meanwhile, we will continue to focus on saving what we can of East Suffolk's precious wildlife and our beautiful heritage coast. However, Union Prospect, which represents 155,000 public and private sector workers, including the energy industry, welcomed the news that the High Court had thrown out the legal challenge. Sue Ferns, the Union's Senior Deputy General Secretary, responded to the High Court finding the sizeable sea approval lawful. She said, this is a welcome ruling which removes one of the blocks to getting Sizewell C started. Sizewell C, for the first 9 to 12 months water, would be supplied using water tankers, then a desalination plant drawing its water from the North Sea. A spokesman person for Sizewell C said, We are pleased with this judgment, which firmly dismisses the challenge and underlines the confidence of the people of East Suffolk can take in our plans for Sizewell C. While the project has strong local support, we will continue to listen to the views of all East Suffolk residents, as we have done for more than a decade. We are determined as ever that this project will deliver as much long-term benefit as possible to the local area. Work at our site will continue to prepare for full construction, which will unlock major benefits for Suffolk and the rest of Britain as well as creating huge numbers of jobs, apprenticeships and investment, the project will lower energy costs for consumers and build a stronger homegrown low-carbon electricity system. People in north-east Norfolk have been urged to keep a lookout for a gang of roaming rears which escaped from a farm. The creatures were last seen in Stalham earlier this week but sightings of the birds have since dried up. Rears, which are large, flightless birds, distinctly related to ostriches and emus, can run at speeds of up to 50 miles per hour, and experts say they could have travelled as far as 10 miles away from the farm already. Residents in nearby areas such as Hickling, Catfield, Potterhyam, Ludham, Horning, Nittershed, and Worsted have all been warned to keep an eye out for their runaway birds. Experts say they could have been travelled as far as Roxham, Horning, North Walsham, Mundersley, Happisburgh, Hemsby and Ackle, which all fall within a 10 mile radius of the farm. Wildlife expert Kevin Murphy, instead of Norfolk Wildlife Rescue, said the birds could roam the length of a football pitch every time they became spooked. They may have travelled up to 10 miles away already, he said. They are kept as pets, but they're wild animals, so they can be unpredictable. Twelve rears escaped the farm in the early hours of Wednesday morning, before being spotted in people's front gardens and maroodering through the streets in Linford Road, Stalham. Five of the birds are still on the loose. Up close they can be intimidating, Mr Murphy added. If they want to kick or peck you, they will, and it will hurt. Getting kicked by a rear is like getting kicked by a horse. They've got claws as well as they can inflict some serious damage. They are a prey animal, so they will defend themselves. It's in their nature. It's fight or flight with animals. Don't recklessly try to catch them or jump on their backs. It must be really coordinated effort to catch them safely. And now we're going to move on to some general items. Uh, my first one is, Lavenham is the most stylish place to live in the whole country, according to a new survey. The Suffolk village was placed at the top of a UK-wide list published on Tuesday by online retailer Furniture Box following a nationwide survey to determine each county's most stylish location. Each locale was ranked according to the beauty of its buildings and scenery, in addition to its popularity with artists and as a filming location. The survey, which garnered approximately 5,000 responses across the country and included polling in Suffolk, 
highlighted Lavenham for its well-preserved and colourful medieval buildings. This unique streetscape has seen the village become a popular filming location, featuring in the film Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows and the BBC television <coughs> programme Lovejoy. A furniture box spokesman said, Lavenham is the most stylish place to live in the UK. It is loved for its quirky architecture and famous crooked house. All 20 places on the list would have been worthy winners and show why the UK is such a stylish country, loved by artists, filmmakers and tourists from all over the world. What marks out the UK's most stylish places is how they all have a timeless quality, achieved over generations by the stylish people living there. Individual lists were also published for each county as part of the survey results. In Suffolk, Hadley was ranked in fourth place and Long Melford was fifth, with Oldborough taking second spot and Woodbridge third. A 91-year-old conservationist has been recognised for his hard work, dedication and selfless service in improving the environment and quality of life in a village. John Sharp was presented with a Community Recognition Award for his more than five decades of work in Ixworth. With a passion for nature, he was the village's tree warden from 1986 to 2022 and played a role in acquisition, creation and early maintenance of Robin's Copse with its conversion from a disused chalk pit into nature reserve. Mr Sharp was even responsible for naming it after the Robins which lived there and he has been a group leader of the RSPB. He also helped to bring about the planting of an area of woodland alongside the A143 to create a wildlife corridor. Sue Spiller, history recorder for Ixworth and Thorpe, said he was surprised and delighted to be handed the award in celebration of his hard work dedication and selfless service in improving the environment and quality of life for people in Ixworth. Arriving in Ixworth in 1971, Mr Sharp has been an active participant in every village event from fairs to fundraising events, she said. He was a collector for Little Ernie, a deliverer for the Ixworth newsletter and a driver the Ixworth Patients Association transport scheme. Mr Sharp helped out with the WI and Brownie activities and he was the go-to man if residents needed anything doing. He served as chairman of Thurston Upper School PTA as a parish councillor from 1979 until 2011 and as its chairman during some of the time as well as a member, chairman and secretary of Ixworth Village Hall Committee. Currently, he is the president of Ixworth Bowls Club, where he has won many cups and awards. He was chairman of the club when it celebrated its 100th birthday in 2007, and when the club was awarded a lottery grant for a new clubhouse, he and other members matched the grant by donating their labour to the new building. The certificate was handed to him by Ben Lord, Chairman of Ixworth and Ixworth Thorpe Parish Council during the weekly coffee morning at Ixworth Chapel, which is the one time in the week when Mr Sharp is able to socialise with friends. Mrs Filler added, John has devoted himself tirelessly to the village for over 50 years and it was good to see his work recognised with a community award. Plans to convert a light industrial depot on the edge of Haverhill into nine apartments have been denied. Applicant Belgit Verk has applied to West Suffolk Council for full planning permission to convert the site at Hazelstub in Burton End. The case planning officer refused planning permission for a number of reasons. The site, which is on the Castle Camp side of Haverhill Bypass, falls outside any settlement boundary and is therefore in the countryside in planning policy terms, where housing development is not generally acceptable. 
The officer's report said that although there were exceptions to allow for housing development in the countryside, none of them had been satisfied. It was also pointed out that the site was not well connected to services and facilities by public footpaths and cycle routes or public transport. The report said occupiers of the proposed dwelling are likely to frequently rely on the private car to access services and facilities which has negative environmental and social effects. A proposal has been made to build a viewing gallery to allow people with limited mobility a good view of historic Framlingham sites. Framlingham Town Council has put forward a proposal for a viewing gallery for people to get better views of the Mayor and Framlingham Castle. It is proposed that a timber platform extending around four to five metres into the land with a widening at the end to allow for two wheelchair users or a wheelchair and a helper to sit and look at the view. The platform would be based sloping slightly down from the verge on the mare side of the new road, of new road with a short width of level pavement allowing access across the verge from the road. The viewing gallery will be protected from grazing cattle by a rail fence with stock-proof wire. The proposal will not require the removal of trees, with just two or three hedging shrubs to be removed, depending on the width of the access ramp. Framlingham Town Council is looking for backing for this project. The A1307 between Haverhill and, Haverhill and the Four Wentways Services roundabout will be closed for 48 hours in mid-July. The closure is taking place to allow a section of the A1307 to be re resurfaced. It is the final stage of changes being made to the Hildesham Junction as part of the Linton Greenway Works, being undertaken by the Greater Cambridge Partnership. The road resurfacing is being done between Hildesham and the Pilgrims UK factory, formerly Dale Heads Foods, the A1307 between Haverhill and Four Wentways roundabout will be closed from 6am on Saturday, July the 15th until 6am on Monday the 17th, with access only for people living along the route. A diversion will be set up taking traffic around Linton via the A11, A14 and A143. Ipswich MP Tom Hunt welcome pupils from Chantry Academy to the Houses of Parliament to mark the celebration on Wednesday. Mr Hunt said that the Ipswich students did a great job representing Suffolk on this important day. Speaking on the day, he said, It was great to welcome students from Chantry Academy to Parliament today to do a proclamation to celebrate Suffolk Day in Westminster Hall with all Suffolk MPs present. Suffolk has so much to offer, and today is a day to recognise our great icons, attractions, landscapes, history and more. I am proud that it was Chantry students who did the proclamation, representing both Ipswich and Suffolk on this important day. They did a great job representing Suffolk and the amazing county we live in. I had the chance to do questions and answers with them after, alongside a tour of Parliament. Happy Suffolk Day! Ipswich residents celebrated Suffolk Day on Cornhill by watching the Army Air Corps parade and an Apache helicopter fly past. A station near Newmarket has received a special award recognising volunteers' efforts to support its nature and improve its biodiversity. Dunningham Station, adopters Sue Park, Pat Brown, Hilda and Barry Hardy, Liz Paddock Leanne Hind and Janet McEwen were presented with a wildlife friendly accreditation under a scheme initiated through a partnership between train operator Greater Anglia and the Bedfordshire, Cambridgeshire and North Hants, the BCN, Wildlife Trust with the aim of creating wildlife havens as stations across the rail network. The Dallingham station 
team received the award following assessment by a BCN Wildlife Trust Conservation Officer to determine how well the station supported local flora and fauna. The ecologist's report noted Dullingham Station was being very well cared for with wildlife and sustainability in mind. The combination of planted beds and wilder hedge sections provided a variety of habitats, food sources and shelter options supporting a range of wildlife. James Hogg, Development Officer at the Norfolk Wildlife Trust, said this project with Greater Anglia is a fantastic example of how people can transform nature-poor areas into new nature-rich places and change the way we think about land, seizing opportunities to help nature outside traditional nature reserves. Dunningham Station Green Journey took root more than four years ago when Sue Park, who lives in the village, began encouraging her fellow villagers to get involved in a wildlife-friendly scheme which included the creation of a small pond believed to the first at a rail station in the country. She's also encouraged donations of compostable waste which she used to help improve the soil. At the time, she said, the station is really special to the people that live here. Many residents can remember their grandfathers working at the station one who even campaigned to save the station during the beaching era of closures. Villagers took the project to heart. One donated butler sinks for planting and another a bird bath from her late mother's garden, while Sue planted fuchsias which had been grown by her late father. And in 2021, four murals, each painted onto a recycled door, were put in place depicting the seasons and changes in nature that take place throughout the year and complementing the station's wildlife-friendly planting schemes and projects. Alan Neville, Greater Anglia's Customer and Community Engagement Manager, said, I'd like to congratulate the volunteers and thank them for the incredible work they are doing, helping to support biodiversity locally. A metal detectorist from Norfolk has unearthed a Viking artefact that was used to craft decorative motifs for military helmets. Jason Jones from Norwich made the find while searching a field near Watton in January this year, having previously found two medieval silver coins there. The construction industry worker, who was with his wife Lisa, said he had forgotten to charge his main detector and was using his backup machine. I returned to the area where the coins were found and got a loud signal and a depth of just two inches from and found an unusual bronze object, he said. Lisa came over and was speechless when she saw it. Neither of us had any idea what it could be, but that evening, after posting a picture on Facebook, we realised it was Viking in date and notified the local archaeologists to have it recorded. The bronze artefact, called a die, would have been used to create decorative motifs to be applied to a military helmet, according to Nigel Mills, a specialist at Noonan's Auctioneers, where it is to be sold. The die is used to replicate the design into a thin sheet of metal, which is pressed into the die and then has the intricate design formed, he said. You can see this decoration on important helmets, like the Sutton Who helmet. The die is to be offered for sale at Noonan's Mayfair in London on July the 18th, with a guide price of £16,000 to £24,000. Mr Jones said he bought a metal detector for his son's Rio's 15th birthday four years ago, and within a few weeks the whole family including his two daughters, Ella and Leah, were detecting every weekend. And now we'd like to move on to some letters. And um, My first letter, which is quite a long one, from Councillor Andy Drummond, Newmarket Town Council. Restoration work on Clock Tower much needed. Having read Mr Scott's letter about the cost of renovating the iconic 
Grade 2 listed Queen Victoria Golden Jubilee Clock Tower in the journal June the 15th, I asked the mayor whether the final figures were in, and she explained they were still awaiting some final invoices, so please be patient. The town council is very open and transparent, so rest assured the figure will be released soon. The last renovation was over 40 years ago. There is an inscription on one of the stones, now barely legible, FHDC renovated 1981. So it's been quite a long time since it had any significant restoration work, and by that I mean any money spent on it. About five years ago, we obtained quotes for restoration which came in at circa £80,000, and the project was mothballed. Then Covid came along, and the focus of the council changed, but the state of the building wasn't getting any better. There was grass growing from the roof, several broken stained glass windows, stonework issues including erosion caused by pigeon droppings and other behind-the-scenes matters requiring at urgent attention. The tower stands exposed to the elements 24-7, come rain or shine, and quite frankly, it was beginning to look unloved. In 2021, the town council began discussing what it might do to commemorate Queen Elizabeth's Platinum Jubilee. There was nothing permanent or tangible planned, so I suggested spending £70,000 on the clock tower. £1,000 to mark each year of Her Majesty's reign and that we could record this on a plaque to mark the event at the site. Remember that the tower was built shortly after 1887 to commemorate 50 years of Queen Victoria's accession to the throne. Our Queen had served us for 20 years longer and I was concerned that we were not leaving a permanent marker to recognise this great achievement. The total reckoning may not come in at exactly £70,000, it may be less, it may be more, but I am entirely comfortable that the restoration was absolutely necessary and that the rededication that reads refurbished by Newmarket Town Council to commemorate the 2022 Platinum Jubilee of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II is a fitting tribute to the service that the Queen of our lifetime gave to the nation. And despite the ravages of time, the plaque will there be there for future generations to read and know that this really mattered to the people of Newmarket. Um, my letter, first letter, is from Judy Fulham, and she's from Laxfield. She heads her letter, Bring Back Dog Licences. There have been two reports so far this week on dogs attacking children and on Wednesday, June the 21st, Rachel Moore's column addresses the issue of dangerous dogs. Perhaps it is time for dog licences to be reintroduced and a hefty enough rate to deter the more casual dog owners. It is my opinion that there are far too many dogs in this country. Anyway, and for some reason nowadays, they have taken on the importance, if not in some instances, surpass that of human beings. I am not a dog hater. My parents always had dogs and I grew up with them and loved them. I appreciate as well as that they provide valuable company to many people. But a dog is an animal, not a child, not a human. This should never be forgotten. And this is how they should be treated. And my next letter, which is another long letter, take notes here, <laughs> is from Alan Noble of Thurston. Parish Council out of touch over plans. Planning applications have recently been lodged for housing development on two sites in Thurston. And many villagers are incensed, both at the actions of the Parish Council and the development proposals. Concern centres primarily on the site currently occupied in part by allotments, which have been there for over 120 years. The remainder of the site has naturally rewilded for the past 35 years and has become an important habitat for a wide range of wildlife and a hunting ground for raptors. 
all this would be lost should planning permission be granted. This follows an announcement earlier this year that Thurston Parish Council had been in secret protracted negotiations with a local landowner, resulting in a deal being reached whereby the Parish Council would, supposedly, benefit from being given the freehold of New Green. Ownership of allotments and the gift of an area of land for creating woodland. In exchange, the parish council would support planning applications by the landowner to develop two sites for housing, both outside the village settlement boundary and contrary to the Thurston neighbourhood plan. It is ridiculous to seriously contemplate trading an established biodiversity for a woodland site to be planted from scratch and which will take decades to have any impact. Similarly, it would make no sense for the parish council to take on a new allotment site which is smaller than the existing one and where the ground will take many years of hard work to get anything like a satisfactory condition for cultivation. The existing allotments would be bulldozed to create yet more houses in a village that has been vastly overdeveloped in recent years and is already set to double in population. Already, 60 objections have been submitted to this application, indicating how out of touch the parish council is with the people it is supposed to represent, and the fact that it has abandoned its own neighbourhood plan, which, again, is supposed to represent the interests of local people when it comes to a development. A previous application on this site brought a strong objection from the parish council. Villagers are further dismayed at the consultation response from the Suffolk Wildlife Trust, which simply states, Suffolk Wildlife Trust does not wish to comment on this application. Areas such as this site are habitat rich in wildlife and increasingly important and must be protected. It is time for such organisations to focus on what it is on our doorstep, what is being lost to relentless march of development for the financial gain of a few, comes at a far greater environmental cost in terms of habitat, wildlife and landscape. Preservation of the ordinary pockets of land should be given a much greater priority than at present. We can only hope that the country's first Green District Council sees the importance of this and acts appropriately. John Dell from Shotley says, Puzzle of how MPs voted. Three of our local Suffolk MPs are reported to have abstained in the vote on the Partygate report suspending Alexander Borister Pfeffel Johnson, our former Prime Minister, earlier this week, a report which condemned him as a liar. Those abstaining were James Cartledge, South Suffolk, Theresa Coffey, Suffolk Coastal, and Tom Hunt, Ipswich. The rest of our MPs voted to support the report. All our MPs supported the creation of the Parliamentary Committee and approved of those on that committee. It makes little sense that having voted to create the committee, they failed to support the outcome of the report. Why? They were not alone. Something like 225 Conservative MPs did the same thing. It had been suggested that they voted that way because they may have felt the conclusions of the committee were too harsh. Others have pointed out that current Prime Minister Rishi Sunak was also implicated in events in Downing Street during Covid. Indeed, Mr Sunak was one of those who was charged and fined following those parties. Is this simply political cowardice? A puzzle indeed. And my next letter is from Barry Peters, the editor of the Bury Free Press. It's that time when our town really starts to bloom. I really love Gardner's World. Maybe it's the farming background I have, or simply the sheer joy in seeing something grow from seed. 
and so I was delighted to see the hanging baskets start to go up across the centre of Bury St Edmunds this past week. Every year, Bury and Bloom brings simple joy to my desk at work. I am able to look out over at least four baskets, just from my office window. Not everyone is as lucky as that, so the delights of the town centre displays on a lunchtime walk can turn a little stroll into a veritable plant fest. I'm sure many people wander aimlessly on their lunch hour and maybe don't realise the huge efforts which go into our providing our medieval market town with such a stunning display each and every year. Bury and Bloom has been greening up our town since 1986 and now, perhaps more than ever, its aims of raising awareness of environmental issues, biodiversity and sustainability have never claimed, have never chimed so importantly. Here's hoping for yet more awards for Bury's Flowery Finery in 2023. My next letter is uh, quite a short one from Martin Dighton from Woodbridge. Uh, It's a chance to see reality. Can we now see Donald Trump, Boris Johnson and Nigel Farage for who and what they are? Or are we to continue to be taken in by what I believe are their false promises and destructive increments of blame and hate? That's it. Well, lucky you. <coughs> uh, my next letter is from Trevor Goodfellow Thurston. It's quieter since flying school left Airfield. Since the flight trainers have moved away from Ruffham Airfield, the air has been much quieter overhead. Although there is often other light aircraft flying over, it is noticeably more relaxing now, and visitors have commented on that. I noted a comment from those poor people who were given notice to leave at the end of May on the front page of Bury Free Press of June the 9th. The potential new site for the flyers has no houses on approach or take-off. While flying in and out of Ruffham Airfield was far from ideal by their own admission then. Ipswich Airport was closed and developed in the past, and I guess Ruffham is heading the same way but perhaps it is better to build houses there rather than the surrounding villages with less than adequate infrastructure. Strange coincidences, writes Clifford Davy from Stowmarket. I was in a party, or nothing to do with Downing Street, of day trippers bound for Thursford Esteem Museum. I happened to glance at the digital clock in the coach, which read 1111, numbers and in words, and the time associated with the end of the First World War, and remembered each year since. Red poppies also a part of the memories. By one of those strange coincidences, at that very moment the coach was passing a meadow full of red poppies. The day was a great success and enjoyed by all on board, including a fish and chip lunch and jam sponge for dessert. I even got to ride a horse painted with the name Cliff on the carousel. And my next letter is from Linda Brignall, the Suffolk Hedgehog Hospital volunteer. Heartbreaking to see dead hedgehogs. As a hedgehog rescuer and volunteer for Suffolk Hedgehog Hospital, I am beyond heartbroken to see the sheer number of deceased hedgehogs lying on either side of the Skyliner Way, Bury St Edmunds. Now officially classified as vulnerable to extinction, these amazing creatures were in their millions in the 1950s, around 30 million to be precise. There are only around 500,000 now left in the UK. It's horrendous. Hedgehogs don't run when scared, they usually simply curl up in a ball and wait for danger to pass. If the drivers can avoid a brick on the road, why can't they see a curled up hedgehog and simply slow down? Driving too fast, that's why, with little regard to wildlife. I have requested government hedgehog signs from the council to remind drivers in this area, especially, to watch out for hedgehogs on the roads. 
Sadly, it's an uphill battle because although they are designed to help protect the species, they will only be considered for issue if a human was injured in an accident involving a hedgehog. It's utterly ridiculous, isn't it? Please drive slowly and keep the speed limits and move hedgehogs off roads if it is safe to do so. Don't use traps, poison, insecticides or netting. Pick up elastic bands, hair ties and litter. Do make a shallow end in a garden pond and check all long grass before strimming. Leave fresh water out and cat biscuits as a supplement. Cut a five inch hole under the garden gates or fences to let them roam freely, garden to garden. They walk a mile a night after all. Help us to protect and respect our beloved hedgehogs and let's make bury the surrounding villages hedgehog-friendly places. The council could help them, but are choosing not to due to financial reasons. N.E. Page from Pakefield writes, Right of way, I remember. Having lived in Pakefield all my life, there has always been an alley connecting Pakefield Street with London Road South, giving rear access to surrounding houses. Neighbours at war over footpath in the EADT on June the 6th. As a child in the 1950s, I remember the alley used to run between the property concerned and the garage. As I remember, you never had to walk into uh, and onto anyone's property to gain access at that time. Opposite the entrance of Pump Alley in Pakefield Street was the church hall known as Cunningham Hall, until it was demolished after a new church hall was built closer to the church in the 70s. Mm, happy times. And my next letter is from Karen Nolan, Icklinham. Bus station is in an appalling state. On Wednesday last, I approached the bus station in Bury, depressed as usual at the filthy pavements and dirty shelter. I sat in the waiting room, pulled by the stained walls, complete with a large hole. Then as I went to get the bus, I nearly laughed out loud to see men putting up hanging baskets. It's obvious that no one on the council ever goes to the bus station. Shame on them. Uh, Major Joanna Todd, who is the centre manager for the Salvation Army Priory Centre in Ipswich, has an urgent request. And she asks... Did you donate the bag? The Salvation Army in Queensway, Ipswich are trying to trace the person who donated a cream-coloured bag with a picture of a cat stretching up and the words, testing the furniture. We estimate that the bag was donated approximately May the 20th to the 25th and it contains something that needs to be returned. The person will be expected to show some form of identity. If this is you, or you think you know who it is, you can contact us on 01473 710721. Ah, well, see, I've run out of letters. Oh, So, okay. do you have another one yep. that you can do? Do you want to do that one? No, I was having you oh, do right, it. Okay, um, Graham Day from Stonemarket has a house well worth a visit. On a bank holiday Monday, a short trip into North Essex and a visit to the house in Cockershall of Thomas Paycock, Thomas was a wool merchant who had fleeces woven into Cockershall cloth by families working at home. As a town, Cockershall was a high standing in the textile world. The front of the house was lavishly decorated with carved beams and many containing Thomas's motive of round globes with an ermine tail. The ornateness was stunning and en en exemplified his wealth. As a merchant, he was as high up the social scale as he could be. The next level was royalty. All in all, an excellent trip to an imposing house, made even better by a superbly knowledgeable guide. A place well worth visiting. Uh, well, listeners, Graham's obviously decided he needs an even longer nap, um, so you've got me again uh, with our first feature. 
and um, they are popular attractions and even boast their own social media page with hundreds of followers. Uh, I wonder what we're talking about. We're about to find out. Uh, now sheep grazing at a cliff-top church are set to be boosted by a special first as two new Suffolk lambs prepare to join the flock. For a number of years, their Pakefield sheep have turned centre stage and captured the attentions of crowds and onlookers as they walk past the churchyard at All Saints and St Margaret's Church in Pakefield, Glurstoff, with Rodney, a Suffolk ram, joined by three Zoe sheep called Poppy, Skye and Sparkle. They all enjoy their surroundings as they live at Pakefield Church. As the Suffolk is a rare British breed of domestic sheep, the church has been searching for new Suffolk lambs to join the flock over recent months. The Suffolk is a rare breed, so we have been in touch with local farmers, leading to the arrival of Rue and Winnie. With Mrs Mills collecting the 12 to 14 week old lambs and training them in the garden of her home in Lowestoft, she said, the intention was to look after them ahead of them becoming part of the flock and being unveiled at the summer fete. But a week into having them, Winnie suddenly woke up with no use of her back legs. It literally happened overnight. With a deficiency and hind limb paralysis, prognosis, prognosis was not good for the young ewe. We took her to the vets and she was told she needed to be put down, Mrs Mills said, but we didn't give up. We felt like Winnie and Rue were given to us as a gift and Winnie has a quality of life. So we decided to care for her. Calls, emails and messages followed as Mrs Mills set off on a mission to find Winnie a wheelchair. It led to a meeting with the Sudbury Base Winston's Wheels a charity for dogs that need help to stay with mobile by providing wheelchairs and strollers for the pets. After assessing Winnie and checking if it was possible to fit the ewe with cartwheels, there was joy at the Winston Wheels charity said it was the first wheelchair sheep that they had ever helped as she scooted off with her new set of wheels. Mrs Mills said it was a proper emotional moment seeing her on wheels and scooting around as they had founded the wheelchair for Winnie. We are very grateful to Winston Wheels. She has taken to them really, really well. She loves them. It has certainly given her a new lease of life. Obviously, we don't know how long it will last, but she's fighting and we will fight for her too. Passionate about how animals can help with well-being, Mrs Mill said, they have a positive effect on young people's mental health and she always likes to see animals with her church youth work. Mrs Mills said, Rodney, Skye, Poppy and Sparkle will be at the church summer fete on Saturday, July the 15th, but this will also be the first chance for people to come and meet Winnie and Rue too. I think Graham now has his future. Yes, well, I've now recovered from my nap. Oh, good, I'm so pleased. I'm, I'm all fresh and ready. Good. Uh, and this is from uh, a local historian and author, Martin Taylor, who uh, I like to feature because he does some very good um, historic articles on Bury St Edmunds and area. And today, the name Brackland has evolved into Breckland, an area of sandy soil heaths rabbit warrens and scrublands stretching from North Suffolk into a large swathe of Norfolk consisting of around 400 square miles. In Bury St Edmunds, Brackland was an area of town between the rivers Lark and Tay. The Tafen, uh, the Tafen uh, an important resource for growing of osier willy, willow which was important for basket making. Perhaps one of its most famous inhabitants was a monk of the abbey, Jocelyn of Breklond, who kept a chronicle, Chronica Jocelyni de Breklonda, at the end of the 12th century and beginning of the next. Little is known about Jocelyn, but his account of life under the Benedictine rule gives us real insight in, into monastic life then, 
especially one charismatic abbot, Samson of Tottenham, Norfolk. The abbey controlled what we know today as West Suffolk, the liberty of St Edmund. The town, as well as its influence, extending as far north as Lakenheath, where eel ponds provided income for it. The Chronica was translated from its monkish Latin and published in 1840 by the Camden Society. Thomas Carlyle, a notable British essayist, historian and philosopher of the 19th century, found it invaluable for his essay on the ancient monk included in his book Past and Present. The Brackland, also meaning broken ground, had two parts. Short and long, referred by locals at one time as the Borders, probably because it was formed the border of Bury when it was looked upon as one of the poorer areas of the town. During the 19th century, it was also a major contributor to industrial Bury, with maltings, mills, gasworks, railway and coal yards, huge employers of labour, this requiring housing, thus numerous two-up and two-down Victorian terraces came about. Sadly, not meeting modern requirements, these in Long Brackland and St Edmund's Place and Cannon Street suffered demolition in the name of progress, so-called. Slum clearance of the early 1960s. A sad conclusion of their removal was that families, once the backbone of communities, were now dispersed. Also gone were that some of the pubs that littered the area. The notion that a working man had a right to his pint, or most likely pints, at the end of his day's graft, sacrosanct in his mind. Not for nothing did the Salvation Army build its citadel nearby in 1889 to look after poor souls and the police in 1891, their station. And we're just finishing off with one last uh, general item, and it's about an artist who returns home to launch a show. A renowned Sudbury artist received a special homecoming for the launch of her new show at the gallery, which helped inspire her as a child. Origins and exhibition work by Sudbury-born artist Maggie Hambling began at Gainsborough's house on Saturday. Most of the 30 artworks, which include portraits and depictions of Suffolk's landscape, have never been seen publicly before and they will remain on display until October the 29th. Gainsborough House holds close personal significance for the 77-year-old, who visited the gallery at the age of 10, and she later donated her collection of work by celebrated artist Cedric Morris. So we're coming to the end of this edition of St Edmund's Bray News Talk. So if you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given. Alternatively, you can put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We'd like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Bury Free Press, East Anglian Daily Times, Averhill Echo and Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. News Talk will be back again next week, so until then, from Ruth, Sue and Graham, it's goodbye. Goodbye. been listening to a podcast brought to you by the St Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio.